I don't think he could be the songwriter he is if he weren't as complex as he is. David Lowry's not a cliche. He definitely has an ego. Guy is driven, motivated, and wants to be successful. David has a very busy, busy brain. He has a hard time relaxing. Tenacious, as all get out. He's a hard worker. I'll give him that. Irreverent. I burn a tire every Earth Day. Very funny. He's in his head a lot. There's a side of him that is a deep, deep thinker. Connoisseur and fan of bizarre human beings. Behavior. Crazy. Bastard. Control freak. Could be demanding and perhaps unreasonable at times. I mean, as far as being cocky, he was always that guy. And that's cool. If there's one thing that I hope can come out of this film is that people can look at his body of work and see that he is this great classic American songwriter. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Rock Doc, little independent film called Get Off This, a story of Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven. You'll hear plenty of that as the show goes along. And on a light news week, a lot of music talk today on the show. Welcome in. Thanks for being here. Podcast can be found each and every Wednesday, generally talking about the things going on in the Southeast and more specifically to the city of Chattanooga and surrounding areas. Thousands of people in the area are well aware of this now, and if you are new to the show or somewhat just kind of trying it out, appreciate you having you on board. If you're here regularly, thank you as always. And thanks to Lee Brock, 653 2491. The presenting sponsor of the show into the new year. Get a hold of him, Lee, at lindabrockhomes.com. My name is Brian. And, um, yeah, it, it's every week I talk about this a lot that I sometimes have no idea what the show is going to be until just 24 hours until it's time to start recording. And that's fine. You know, however it comes together, it is a topical, or at least that's the plan anyway, kind of a show and this is just I mean it's just a dead ass week I mean there is nothing I talked about uh, today would be a lookouts free zone likely because of the uh, vote that would be going down at this time over the funding on the stadium and that's been pushed off another week so the never ending story that is the lookouts stadium and the South Broad District I will have a little bit on that from some op-eds, maybe, if I have time to get to that. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, the, there's just nothing going on in this city uh, that's overly interesting right now. So I just kind of started going through a lot of things that I just keep stacked up in my backpack. I carry around, and I'm always just pulling stuff left and right, and it usually piles up, and I you know, toss half of it into the recycle bin. But uh, So this case, I just went through and just started digging all the stuff that I haven't gotten to one month into the new year. I'll lay out the show quickly. In the third segment of the show... Um, again, audio from that uh, well, that doc in particular and from David Lowry himself. I'll, I'll talk about the show that I went and saw over this past weekend. I'll make that short. Um, in the third segment of the show, he is a big uh, music creator rights guy, uh, royalties, all that kind of stuff. And he's been doing that for a long time. And so I'll kind of look at that with some audio from some of his lectures over the years. In the second segment of the show, it's going to be a completely just what I just mentioned, just keep the, clearing out the queue, if that's what you want to call it, that um, we'll have a few things that are locally based, but not most of it is not. And I will get back to a three pieces of audio just to have fun on the front end here in about uh, 10 minutes or so from right now. And as opposed to what I've done the last few weeks when I said I was going to do it and then didn't get around to it, I actually completely will today because um, 
Well, the slow news week. Maybe the Super Bowl is taking over all uh, conversation, which I'll get to that here shortly. The best show ever is the complimentary piece podcast that I am still working on. And I have my first two guests booked to record in the next few weeks. The first will be Alex McVeigh running for circuit court judge in Hamilton County. We're doing that in two weeks, and I'll have it out within a day or two after we record it. And then the second one will be with local musician Adam Stone. And you might not be familiar with his name, but he is quickly becoming one of the most respected guitar players in this city. I don't know about songwriters or how good his bands are. He's a younger dude. I don't think he's even 30 yet, or he might have just turned 30. But he is a fabulous, fabulous player. And he ran into some legal issues with some band names. His band Over Easy is no longer a thing. And that was the reason for reaching out to him back in December and said, hey, would you like to talk about that sometime? Now, that's kind of old news now, but we'll just talk music and maybe even play some. We're going to record in his studio That's later on this month. So look for a couple of best show ever podcasts coming uh, towards the end of the month. Uh, This could go into that category of pulling from the January queue, but I've been meaning to mention this since really I think it's December. The Chattanooga bystander is seemingly back and might be wondering, well, okay, well, back. What the hell is it? Think The Onion, so fake news, funny, ha-ha, fake news. But instead of on a national level from The Onion, it's all about Chattanooga. And I think I know who's behind or was behind it back then. I'm not entirely sure. I never found out that 100%. But it does appear to be active again on social media. And it was really one of the better things we had going satire-wise and comedy and fun here on social media locally, like around 16, 17, 18. And it does appear to be active again on social. I don't think, if it's the same guy, I'd be surprised because it's not as good and it, it doesn't have the same style, but it's close and it's good enough for me. So just a couple of things I pulled here real quick. Uh, Just one in particular from a few years ago from 2021. It is Zach Womp adopts 33 children to run in all local elections. At a press press conference today, former U.S. Representative Zach Womp announced that he had recently adopted 33 children who will run in all Hamilton County elections. Quote, I just want to say that if my new children want to play Little League or take ballet lessons, I fully support them. As long as it doesn't interfere with them running for elected office, said Womp. Now, some may accuse me of empire building. That is simply not the case. I would prefer the word dynasty or royalty works also. It's a lot longer than that, but that's just one from a few years ago. And these are some of the most recent posts in January. Uh, from the Chattanooga Bystander, breaking motorists praise the freezing temperatures and slick icy roads for causing the traffic at the I-75-24 split to move the fastest it has in years. Uh, breaking news, Chattanooga Bystander, Bird Dog announces you have to pay to park in your own driveway now. And finally, breaking new lookout stadium estimate doubles to $120 million after developers discover you can get a yacht with another smaller boat inside now in the stadium. (laughs) So it's not hilarious. Uh, I'm happy to see that it is back, though, because having fun with local headlines is something that I try to do a little bit, And but I'm not a funny comedian, writer, ha-ha guy. And uh, so good good luck to the uh, Chattanooga Bystander. Hopefully they are able to keep that up. River City Company announces events for Rock the Riverfront. This is an event I have never spent any time with, and maybe this year I'll change that. For the third year, Rock the Riverfront will take place in Chattanooga, down on the green at the Riverfront District for 32 days, filling the space for interactive art, music, entertainment, community sharing. I don't really recognize anything that's going on here. A lot of uh, different DJs and uh, family-friendly kind of stuff. The World Leaders, a band that actually features some of the guys that I was playing with as of the end of the year. I haven't talked to them about how who's going to be involved with that necessarily. They'll be playing March 16th. And, um, you know, just kind of a, it's a small little gathering uh, on the river. I did see this. I thought this was kind of neat for those of you who have kids that, 
want to teach them a little bit about uh, entrepreneurship and uh, how to make a buck. Saturday, April 13th, the Children's Entrepreneurship Market will return to the green with over 40 youth entrepreneurs ready to sell you their unique creations. So those of you with children that make, uh, you know, necklaces and jewelry or pottery or whatever the hell it is they're into, you can sign them up for that if you'd like. So Rock the Riverfront coming back here shortly for the spring. It is Super Bowl week. And I'll expand on this more here in a minute, but the Super Bowl Sunday used to be one of my favorite days of the year. It's not as much anymore. Nowadays, it's kind of just one more hurdle to get to the spring, to get the football season over with, especially when my team has disappointed me so badly. But this year, the Super Bowl is in Vegas, and it is remarkable in how such a short period of time the NFL went from shunning Vegas, not allowing them to have a team, completely distancing themselves from all things gambling, even as recently as just three to four five years ago, they would not allow even Vegas uh, tourism spots to run during the Super Bowl, even if they didn't reference gambling. And it has gone all the way from that to we have a team there, we host the game here, and we have upwards of four sponsors that are in the online gambling, sports gambling space, and they are running countless, who knows how many commercials during the game on Sunday for online sports betting. It's just I'm not making a greater point either way other than we have Tennessee legislative tyrants trying to take away Delta 9 and THCA and just small grades of hemp-based derivatives, not even actual real marijuana, trying to take that away from its citizens when it's a cash crop and pulling in lots of money for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs and the state all the while supporting sports online gambling, which is all the trend, all the rage with young people, especially with the ease of just having it in the palm of your hand. You can bet on every single aspect of every single game in every single imaginable way, and nobody blinks an eye at it. Nobody thinks anything of it. I'm not trying to be a prude here. Gamble if you want, but let's not act like it's not dangerous and not terrible for impressionable young people who don't have the money to lose but do have the urges and the addictive behaviors that come with this kind of state-supported activity. It is infuriating, and I'll leave it at that. Don't forget to get your bets in, bros. So annoying. So what's happening in Southern California and other areas of California is kind of similar to what happens when we get snow here. And it is not an overreaction to worry about this stuff. They're having landslides and terrible issues with all this rain that has hammered Southern California. Storms dump record rains on Los Angeles. Let's see. Between 5 and 10 inches of rain have fallen. It doesn't say in what time frame, but that's got to be in the last uh, half week or so. And what made me want to bring this up was, first of all, they get all the jokes of, oh, my God, when it rains, everybody freaks out. Well, yeah, it never rains. And then when it does and it's 5 to 10 inches, it's dangerous. And they should freak out a little bit anyway. But what I caught my eye here was they're calling it, it's from an atmospheric river. I was like, what in the hell is an atmospheric river? From the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration official website, atmospheric rivers are relatively long, narrow regions in the atmosphere, like rivers in the sky, that transport most of the water vapor outside of the tropics. While atmospheric rivers can vary greatly in size and strength, the average atmospheric river carries an amount of water vapor roughly equivalent to the average flow of water at the mouth of the Mississippi River. Exceptionally strong atmospheric rivers can transport up to 15 times that amount when these rivers make landfall. They often release this water vapor in the form of rain or snow. I have never heard of such a thing. That is what a pineapple express is. It's a name of an atmospheric river. I thought that was just a clever name for a strain of high-grade marijuana and the name of a, of a stoner flick. I didn't know that was actually a thing. 
Never heard of that before, and I won't waste a whole lot of more time going into that. I just thought it was pretty damn interesting sounding, and I don't know if it's some kind of climate change agenda that that article was trying to push. I didn't get that far into it. I just wanted to know what an atmospheric river was. And maybe I'll have time to get to this uh, lookouts um, stuff here in the second segment of the show. Let's transition now to the three pieces of audio for you. Uh, let's see. The realest thing, the worst idea, and the coolest thing. We will start with the realest thing. This is Michael Lombardi. He is a not no relation to the Vince Lombardi uh, of longtime coach and champion with the Green Bay Packers. This is uh, just this has the same last name. That's all. No kin. He was an executive with the 49ers, the Cleveland Browns, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Broncos, and the Raiders in his time, and now does a lot of media work. And this is him saying all the things that I believe and a lot of others, maybe not everybody, certainly not everybody, but many of us that thought Mike Vrabel was a perfectly good head coach and Mike Lombardi, well, he agrees. It's today's realest thing. I don't know how Mike Vrabel doesn't have a job. I don't know how he lost his job. I'm having a hard time understanding that. I I think, to me, Mike Vrabel's as good a coach as anybody in the league. I mean, it's unbelievable. He gets his team ready. It's not his fault that they missed on a lot of first-round draft picks. John Robinson had all the say in the terms of the personnel. He hired Mike. They just missed on some players, right? They hit on some guys down the road, and they missed on some. And this was a tough year. They're trying to make Will Levis his young player. I I don't understand it. I I don't know how you could spend time around Mike Vrabel and not think that this guy is a leader of men and is going to make our team better. You don't even interview him. I mean, you don't even bring him in for an interview. I mean, this is an, uh, an expert on these kinds of things, and it is just infuriating to me. Uh, and then all we've seen in the last couple of days, the latest from this woman named Diana Rossini. I never even heard of her before until a few weeks ago. And now I seemingly see it all over social. She's like this, I don't know, prominent uh, football, NFL football reporter. And the latest is, is that Vrabel was too intimidating to owners and general uh, other general managers and other brass from other teams. He's too big of a guy. He was that was what the story was. Not he was wanting too much power in the organization, which is what some people read that as. It was literally he was too big mass of a man and he was big and scary. what? Excuse me, Diana Rossini and anybody else who's reporting this. I don't believe it. This is a story that was made up, and sports radio is the worst. The regular media is awful, but sports media has become nothing but uh, rumors and the gossip mill amongst people just hanging around, people that are close to the scene. It's not real reporting. It's not. It's awful, and the Super Bowl week is the worst. And I stumbled on this. It is a promo for Outside the Lines in the 1990s about the explosion of of Sports Talk Radio. This is today's worst idea. Bill, unlike the other Bill in the White House, there is no question that you did inhale and you continue to suck to this day. With Sports Talk Radio, you can slander and libel people every day and nobody seems to care. Who's to blame for this? Who's going to take the wrath of your disappointment? I think sometimes they get a little harsh on players and... uh... Really, I guess, invade the privacy in their lives. We don't care if we piss people off. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Here's the simple answer. Radio is free. You don't like it, turn it off. And I know what you're thinking. Everybody's going, listen, Rich, you promised we would not talk about chick sports. All right, I, I'm already running out of time, so I'm going to pull that down early. It's so stupid. It, I, I'm embarrassed to say that sports radio was my first true love in the media industry, and it is such... Uh, it's 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 such programming and content designed for such dummies, and that's why dummies are the ones who do it because dummies are the ones that consume it. And I used to be that guy, that dummy. Real quick, the final one. This is the coolest thing. This is what, and this is just some random person on TikTok. This is what Taylor Swift sounds like to people who don't like Taylor Swift. It's the coolest thing. Back car in the back of the car, and we're wearing red scarves, and we're feeling so hard. Yeah, we know that we're going around. You can't talk to me no more. Men are so difficult. Oh my god, we're all wearing red, and we're feeling so hard. 
and we are girls, 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 girls. We can't take it. I just think that it was funny. I am not a hater. I don't care how many times they show Taylor Swift on the broadcast this Sunday. I was tired of it for a little while when I thought it was a PR stunt. It doesn't look to be a PR stunt. looks to be real. And uh, show her all you want. I mean, it's going to be already a clown show with the ridiculous commercials and the uh, long, extended, dumb halftime show and all the bells and whistles. Show Taylor Swift all you want. It might be the coolest part of the whole game. 49ers Chiefs. Ugh. Blah. Gag me. All right, I will continue to dig from my backpack, cleaning out the January queue when I get back next. So I was looking at the latest edition of the Chatter Magazine, the January edition put out by the Times Free Press, and I saw an ad for Linda and Lee Brock and figured I'd read just a few of these off of here just so you have a better idea of what the Brock family has done for, well, over 25 years now, over a billion dollars in closed sales, a top realtor in Chattanooga since 1999, national franchise agent of the year since 1999. Let's see, recognizes the U.S. Southern Region top-selling individual agent. That is speaking specifically to Linda, but Lee is just as much part of that. Also a member of Real Estate Partners here in the city of Chattanooga. Best of the best. Countless times from the Chattanooga Times Free Press. There is no denying the legacy that Linda started and that now Lee Brock has picked up and has taken off in the real estate transactional market. Get a hold of Lee, 653-2491 or Lee at lindabrockhomes.com. Stone on air. Most artists are afraid to speak out because they're afraid of being vilified. I don't give a shit. Look at my entire career. I've learned the wrong lessons for being intimidated. Main problem is that the distributors of the content make all the money. And somebody has to speak up for this. If those who create ideas, the coal miners of the 21st century, those who are down in the mines digging out the coal, If we can't get a fair rate for our work, I mean, what happens to the U.S. economy? This is the great labor struggle of our times. More from David Lowry and the Get Off This Rock Doc. This, of course, being Cracker's biggest hit from 1992, and the song is called Low. Still to this day, one of my favorite songs by this band, but I go very, very deep. As a matter of fact, I I mean, I, I don't think there's a song they've ever written, recorded, and released that I have not heard and know quite well. And the show in Atlanta this past uh, Saturday was quite fun. I will talk more about that in the third segment of the show. But for lack of having any audio or any real direction today, I decided to go with uh, with just commentary and audio that I have found from what I've, you know, I already knew this, but I forgot how much Dave Lowry was, is really one of my heroes. He really, really is. And I, and I already, again, I knew it, but I just hadn't thought about it in, uh, in a long time. And after watching that doc again, and then going back through some of his lectures, it made me remember. And so real quick, I just wanted to play this for you as I'll turn that down. This is from that doc. It's This is first Johnny Hickman, the guitar player. It's a it's a duo. It's the two of them, Johnny and Dave. And then the rest of the band has changed constantly over the last uh, 30 years. And this is them just quickly. It's less than a minute long talking about the writing, the coming together of what would turn out to be a song that would change their lives. It was so different from standard pop music. And so I was playing... It almost sounded Middle Eastern to me. Within a couple of days, he had that imagery. He started coming up with, he had the lyrics coming and they were just flowing. Green sheet of glass, the field of poppies. And I specifically don't ask David what he's on about in these songs. I want the story to happen in my head as a, as a fan and as a listener and as a co-writer. Low is much more about the music than it is about the words. The words are uh, evocative rather than 
totally meaning anything, but ultimately it's a love song. It's like sort of this tripped out, like broken in kind of a Van Gogh kind of way, like I'll cut off my ear for you. <laughs> I think that's so hilarious. A Van Gogh, I'll, I'll cut off my ear for you uh, love song. And that uh, that explains it. That explains it a little bit more than I had already kind of uh, decoded the song myself. Uh, what a joy it was to uh, spend some time with David Lowry over the weekend. Uh, all right, so I will just start going down the list. The Grammys this past weekend, boy, I wrote it off as something that I had no interest in whatsoever. And it turns out, seemingly, just about everybody else did. Had a lot of uh, great performances. It was a big night for women. So the types that think Taylor Swift and her oversaturation, which I will admit has been me a little at times, um, just a little, just this like kind of throwaway commentary, nothing I truly care or think about, but this has become big debatable nonsense in not just the always ridiculous sports talk radio realm and space of Primarily social media is where anybody's going to get this stuff. Also from the hard, crazy rights and lefts, too. It's been highly debated and yelling back and forth at each other. And it's like, what are you doing? What is going on here? So anyway, those types were probably thought it was a, a big fat eye roll with a lot of women winning um, winning Grammys and performance based. But uh, yeah, I didn't watch it. I don't watch any, any uh, award show. But it did look like it might have been one of the better ones. I saw this at the beginning of the year and was going to talk about it, never got around to it. Rage Against the Machine has effectively said that they have retired and they're not going to finish their tour. It was initially the 2020 tour that was pushed to 2022 for all the obvious reasons. And then it got canceled about halfway through because Zach De La Rocha, the lead singer, tore his Achilles on stage and then they were going to reschedule the other half for whenever, and it looks like that's probably not going to happen. As Brad Wilk, original drummer, quoted on, this is a quote from his Twitter account, I don't want to string people or myself along any further. I want you to know that Rage Against the Machine will not be playing live again. And that was kind of like the end of it. And it was kind of like, was he drunk? Was it the middle of the night? Was he high? Like, what? what what's going on here? And there's really not been much else spoke of it. And when I went to New York in 2022 to go to Braves Mets and hang out with my friends uh, Brad and Hillary in Brooklyn and all places in New York, it just so happened Rage Against the Machine was at Madison Square Garden for five nights. And uh, as Brad usually can do, he got us tickets to go to the garden to see Rage Against the Machine. It was one of my favorite concerts that I ever went to. And I... um. Not, I'm not playing. I'm not being best show ever guy. I'm just saying it was one of my favorite shows, just everything involved with it. And it was awesome. It was so good. And then they canceled it. And I saw a bunch of people like bummed out of their mind. I was like, listen, don't worry. They're going to finish the tour and it's going to be worth the wait. Well, I don't know. Looks like they're probably not going to finish the tour. Speaking of that same arena and that same city, Pearl Jam. I mentioned this last week, and it's getting closer to official. I'll know more by this time next week. This is the headline from the AP. Pearl Jam's Vetter calls new album our best work during a, a private listening screening in Los Angeles. And I'll just give you two quotes from Vetter. And he's my guy. He's one of my favorite people ever. I mean, there's a list of favorite people ever. And David Lowry, who I'm talking about on today's show, is on that list alongside the legendary status of a guy like Eddie Vedder. And here's a couple of really like, okay, come on, dude, kind of quotes. It's one of the greatest records we've ever made. Vedder said to cheers from a crowd. And then uh, just further down here, there's plenty more quotes. I'm just going to do these two very hyperbolic statements. Every time I've played someone the record it was like a two-day recovery <laughs> okay <laughs> all right ed uh calm down man maybe take an extra dose of whatever it is that caught you know that settles your nerves there's something i'm seeing though here that i'm seeing as a trend it looks like it feels like the industry is going to push this release 
very hard, maybe in some kind of ceremonial, not last one ever kind of thing. But even my 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 guy Brad in in New York texted me last week said, "Hey, I just got done listening to the Pearl Jam album and it's great." Now, this is a guy who's been making fun of me for most my adult life for how much I adore this man and this band, and he's never said a good thing about their music before. Why is he all of a sudden saying good things about it now? Hmm. Huh. Why would that be? Well, Brad is now very much in programming of alt-rock radio, like the Alt-98.7 brand we have here, except a much more focused, really, I don't want to say worse or better, I don't know or care, but he is in programming. I think there's 12 different cities in the country that he is primarily involved with the programming. And if one AR guy, AR guy and record dude and exec and whoever says, hey, we're going to push the Pearl Jam album, say it's great, then they're all going to do it. And so I'm wondering if that's like just this piece alone. This was a long winded AP write up. I haven't seen a write up on Pearl Jam like this on a front cover in 20 years. So that's what it kind of feels like. Whatever it is, don't care. All I know is it looks like in the first or second week of September, I'll be in New York to see Pearl Jam at Madison Square Garden. Uh, I did this and I had more to it with some audio and it's just, uh, I'll just a little throwaway passing comment. So I talked about the days of Confused, the movie and the setting and how if it took place now, what year it would have been in relation to the time gap of the original movie in 1993. And I think that math was like 2004. So if Days of Confused was released today, it would be highlighting kids, youth culture of 2004. Well, one of my other favorites of uh, in, in the film world is the Back to the Future trilogy. And this one just made its rounds on social the other day. If Back to the Future was released today in 2024 and he went back the same amount of time in history as that he did in that first movie from 1985, then he would be going back to the year 1994. And when you think about 85 to 55, it, it doesn't, I mean, it feels like that is a that is 10 lifetimes i mean the mr sandman bring me a dream make it the best that i've ever seen like that's the number one song at the time as opposed to the number one song in 85 which is what cindy lopper or something like that if you look at it now the number one song is what uh miley cyrus and taylor swift and whatever and you go back 30 years to 1994, and the number one song is, I'm now making it up, probably in 94, would it have been, it wouldn't have been Nirvana, yeah, it might have been Nirvana, something like that, I mean, he, he died in 94, so that would have made them number one, maybe because of that, but you get my point, is it really, is, is, is my time-space continuum in my head tricking me, or is, are, are not all 30-year stretches of American innovative history the same because 30 years is 30 years but if you took 1955 and you subtract 30 off of that and now you're to 1925 well now you don't even have like electricity and 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 like you know refrigeration i i I don't think all 30 year stretches are equal uh i think this kind of proves that so many of us were kind of like you know, like mind blown over that. Uh, speaking more music here, it was last week, I forgot to mention it, over the last couple of weeks, seemingly every person I know went to a tool show here in the Southeast. They played Birmingham, they played Atlanta, and they played Nashville. They might have even, I think they played Knoxville as well. They made all the rounds in all the big arenas and they filled them up. And I had an invite to go to the Birmingham show, and I th- I think it would have been mostly paid for 
by the person who was inviting. And I it would have come out of pocket a little bit, but it would. And I was like, no, 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 no. Um, the Bonnaroo 2022 tool show was all I needed in my life. That was to get it out of the way. Barely, I feel I don't even want to call it a bucket list because I'm so pissed off at that band. And so then, of course, I pull up the set list to see, and it's the same set every night, of course, and from a band that's been playing for 30 years, and they play 11 songs a night. Eleven. Now, people were all pissed off at me when I went on about how they only played nine songs at Bonnaroo, and it was an hour and a half set. I would like to think they played a little bit longer in this stadium tour. I have no idea. 11 songs, really, Tool? 11. You've got all those to choose from. Some of us know those records, those first three, front to back. And you're going to play the same 11 songs every night? I mean, just count me out. Color me totally unimpressed and tired and done with the band Tool. Uh, Talking earlier about the uh, Tennessee's Tyrant, tyrannical state legislator here trying to get rid of Delta 9 and THC products that have been um, that have been deemed legal. They're trying to go backwards on something that they screwed up with the 2018 Farm Bill. Well, I saw this, an ad for this somewhere, a targeted ad, cannabis-infused dip. <laughs> yeah, cannabis-infused dip. I should not be even kind of surprised, but I did think... Really? Wow. Put a chaw in under your lip, give yourself uh, mouth cancer, and get stoned all the while. Gamble while you do it, but in the state of Tennessee, we're going to try to make sure that you can't get that cannabis-infused dip if our legislator has their way. So with the Super Bowl coming up and the Super Bowl commercials, oh my God, how crazy, oh, I can't wait for the commercials. From Again, I, I do this. This is a regular one that I won't do, but I'll just reset it quickly. This idea that people are really excited about commercials, yet all we do is complain and try to get rid of commercials on all the streaming services, on all the music services, and have been for so long. Commercial-free music, satellite radio, how can we get away, get away from all the commercials? When it turns out, really, Americans like to be advertised to. All the numbers, all the stats, everything backs it up that advertising is something that we rely on. Why do you think targeted advertising on social media is such a massively huge way to move product? I mean, if you watch Shark Tank or follow any other kind of venture capital kind of websites or social media accounts, they talk about the price to acquire customers. Well, how do you figure out what that price to acquire customers is? It's your analytics through your targeted advertising. And I have bought things that I regretted through targeted ads, and I've bought things that have changed my life from targeted ads, like my pillow. Quite literally, my pillow I sleep on every night a $150 pillow. I've told the story on here years ago when I did it. It was a complete flyer. It was a lottery ticket on can I finally do something to help me sleep for once in my life. And I don't know what I would do without my pillow cube that I use now. And without targeted advertising, I wouldn't even know that it exists. So um, I was watching, speaking of Shark Tank, I was watching it on uh, Friday nights. I usually watch... SmackDown, Friday Night SmackDown, Shark Tank. And if I don't get to ABC's 2020 after Shark Tank, I hit DVR and I watch it on Saturday morning when I do breakfast. It's kind of what I do most weeks. Call me lame if you want because it is kind of lame. But the night of Groundhog Day, and I'm sure they did it all day long, but I watched the one hour of Shark Tank. They had this reoccurring uh, 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 campaign for the whole show that was the guy from Groundhog Day. If you don't know the movie, I don't have time to reset it, but the guy, the Phil from uh, Phil from Groundhog Day, and he's in the Lay's commercial, and he goes to the register to buy a bag of Lay's, and it starts off with, you know, hey, great to see you, you know, just a chit-chatty, annoying lady at the, at, at the cash register. And then the next commercial is him back. And she says the same thing, and he's looking around like, what the hell's going on? And, in, and he's getting a different brand every time. The point is, we have so many different kinds of Lay's potato chips. And the next time, he comes back, and he's like, ha, ha, and he repeats all the words that she says, it, and it's like, oh, like Twilight Zone-ish. And like, 
Oh my God, what? And the next time he's like looking all disheveled and like, oh, oh God, don't don't say it again. It's just like the movie the with with Bill Murray. It goes from like mildly weird to somewhat amusing to annoying to uh, 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 rage inducing to homicidal <laughs> actions towards the end. And every commercial break, there was like more than one of them and they were about 15 seconds each. And I found myself fast forwarding through the commercials and stopping on the Lay's commercial every time to see what the next increment of the the Groundhog Day version of this uh, commercial was. It was it was fabulous. I I couldn't wait to the next commercial break to see what the next Lay's commercial would be. And uh, I was like, that is, I, I tweeted at them all. I didn't get any uh, anything back from anybody. I thought, you know, tagging Lay's and tagging Shark Tank and ABC might get me some of that, but it did not. And let's see, John Stewart back on The Daily Show. Uh, John Stewart, just Mondays through the election. John Stewart to me is a lot like Bill Maher. They're very intelligent guys. I agree with them on just about everything they say, but they try to be too damn funny and they're not really that funny. Rather than just relying on intellectual, um, semi-humorous you know, humorous intellectualism, they rely on somewhat smart hilarity attempts, and the latter just doesn't work. The former, if they would be focused on humorous intellectualism, they have all the right things to say. But they don't focus on that. They try to create hilarity out of something that's really not all that funny. But that being said, on Monday, I'm sure I'll be tuning in to The Daily Show for the first time. And Jesus Christ, how long? I don't even know. How long has he been gone? Because all the hosts have sucked. And I'll watch one that I probably won't watch anymore after that. So it looks like it will be actually a, um, a Lookouts Free show today. So I'm not even going to get to these op-eds. Because there's not really hardly any reason to do so. So I'll wrap things up right there. Still plenty of things. that UPS is selling Coyote Logistics, which bought out Access America, local company here, as a big write-up on the ups and downs of the logistics industry. That coupled with COVID-era programs, a wash in fraud that I have some pieces pulled on here. Maybe I'll get back to that at another time. And coming up next... Spotify, digital downloads, before that, um, file sharing services, Napster, LimeWire, and who's getting paid, who's not getting paid. And really now this extends into social media and the entire digital content creation community. Monetizing it is very, very difficult, but the music business, a much more established business for the last 120 years or so it's it just never seems to get better it only seems to get worse and i'll have some clips from david lowry talking about that from lectures and uh, a couple pieces i pulled and that will be what we'll do to wrap up today's show hang tight that's next So I went to the meet and greet at the headquarters of Real Estate Partners just a week ago today at the invitation of the Brock family, Linda and Lee, to meet Judge Alex McVeigh, who is running for circuit court here in Hamilton County. It was a nice time, met a lot of cool people, had some drinks for those who imbibe and some club soda and lime for me and lots of good food. And of course, Linda, reverting back to her roots as the neighborhood mom, insisted that I take a plate to go home. I was kind of like, come on. I no way I can't do well all right sure actually pile it up I'll take that <laughs> now I've got dinner and lunch taken care of for the next day and a half anywho you'll hear more from Judge McVeigh on the best show ever later in the month and you can decide who you want to vote for from there but I mentioned it earlier the credentials are all there they are at the top of their profession in this real estate market and they do things the right way get a hold of Lee at 653-2491 or Lee at lindabrockhomes.com now back to more stone on air that's exactly what i wanted to hear stone on air
Spotify has apparently failed to license account and pay on more of than 150 Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven songs, so I filed a class action suit against them. What I did is I initiated a class action on behalf of unlicensed, unpaid songwriters because it appears that a large portion of the compositions, the songs, don't have proper licenses. I don't have anything against streaming. I don't have anything against Spotify. But am I the only one who fucking cares about the rules here, to quote the big Lebowski? If we're going to have a fair digital music ecosystem, the first thing you do is you start following the rules. So we don't have an executive branch that can fix this problem because our copyright office has no enforcement authority in the United States. Our Congress is completely dysfunctional. Our trade organizations are either inept or corrupt. Either one, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. So the last thing that we have left is the courts. Has the whole world gone crazy? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? Take the skinheads, boy. Little Big Lebowski Take for you. I have to admit, I have never seen the movie The Big Lebowski. Don't come at me, bro. I know all about it, but I've never actually seen it. This is Camper Van Beethoven's Take the Skinheads Bowling. And it really is a stupid song, but it, it was really big for the band in about 1985 or so. And Lowry talks about this in his in this doc that it was it's literally a song about nothing. And he talked about this a little bit too at the show this past weekend before he played it. He said, People have asked my entire career, what is this song about? And I can't say it enough. It it's a song about nothing. It has no meaning. Um, they were young, they were just writing silly songs. They had a punk kind of influence, but it was an Americana folk punk. And it really was uh, an anti-post-70s punk uh, movement kind of message that they were trying to give that was opposite of what everything from mainly European punk that was being imitated and copied here in, or at, at that time in Southern California. And it was really cryptically making fun of that oversaturation of ideological punk rock. And they would call them, you know, they, they whiners and just uh, wannabes and uh, posers. And he said at times we would call them skinheads. And so they wrote a song, Take the Skinheads Bowling, for just to, to make fun of them. And it was so cryptically done as per usual with a David Lowry style joke, most people either didn't get it because it was too cryptic or it was too esoteric or intelligent or a combination of uh, all three. But at some point, unbeknownst to them for any real reason that they could ever figure out, John Peel, who is best known here in the States for the John Peel Sessions, at some point you've listened to music that came from the John Peel Sessions, he was a DJ on BBC Radio, and he started playing Take the Skinheads Bowling, and it went in the top 40 on the British charts. Over here, outside of the Redland, California, San Bernardino County in the, in the Inland Empire, as they call it, east of, of, of Los Angeles, Nobody knew who they were, but they were a top 40 song in uh, in England. And then it just kind of went from there and created this really fascinating story of David Lowry's life. And the show was at, uh, at Mutation Brewing was the name of it. Uh, I don't know. Beer, it's probably just another craft beer. Who knows? I didn't have one. Still not drinking. Even if I was drinking, I don't drink that. I never drink that kind of beer anyway. And I went down, met my stepbrother, and it was such a nice time. Uh, Dave showed up with his acoustic. He played just a bunch of songs that everybody there knew from those early Camper Van Beethoven and Cracker days. It was kind of a celebration of the old 99X, and Dave was in a great mood. And I have been, I've seen that band probably 20 plus times, could be more like 25 or more. And I have talked to Dave many, many times, and most every time, he is just so annoyed. He has no interest 
in interacting with nonsensical situations. He doesn't want to hear a story about something quirky that has to, he, he just, he's just not interested in that kind of stuff. And I've never asked him for a picture before. I have asked him for his autograph a couple of times over 20 years ago. And he was so, you know, rolling his eyes as he did it. And on this day, I don't know, age, you know, he's 65 plus now. Age and time and appreciation kind of took over. And, you know, I didn't bother him. And I was waiting to see if the time would work out well. And it did. And uh, chit-chatted for just a short period of time and was more than happy to take a picture. And, yes, I had my David Lowry shirt on, which might have gone a long way. I did say, Dave, in 30 years, I've never done this. This is a first time Last time, I promise. Can I get a picture with you real quick, man? And he said, well, you got my shirt on, damn it. Get over here. And he smiled, took a picture, and he's like, hey, what's your name? I said, Brian. He's like, man, keep listening, Brian. And I was like, what do you think I'm going to stop now? I've been doing this since 1994. My first show ever was at Lakewood Amphitheater in Atlanta, Cracker, Spin Doctors, and Gin Blossoms. That's how long I've been seeing this band and that was just, man, it was a beautiful 68-degree sunny day. Oh, oh, man, it was it was really good. It was really, really nice time. And I tried to do everything I could to talk myself out of going to that. And before I get into this, and I got to hurry already, time's flying. I was worried about having nothing to talk about. Now I'm almost out of time. Uh, I've talked about more than a few times that I should change the open to the show because I use a Cracker song. And what I was concerned about, and I always said, I'll tell you why one of these days, and I never did. The reason I wanted to change that, not because I didn't think it was the perfect open and the perfect opening song, because I do. I don't think I can make a better one. But the problem is, or one of the many problems, but this problem is, David Lowry has been such a, um, a rebel in the music industry. Many would say he's just butthurt because his fame fell off a cliff you know, after a few years in the 90s, that um, he has gone after anybody trying to monetize his music without his permission or him getting royalties. And I was always concerned that if this thing ever, this, this podcast, ever made any kind of traction and somehow an algorithm picked up that I was using his music, which today I'm using it three times, I was worried it would get pulled. And then that would be a lot of work for nothing, not the end of the world, not even that big of a deal. But I didn't want to put a lot of effort into something that algorithms pulled down. Well, somehow that hasn't happened. And part of that is because I don't use online digital advertising models because I'm not a I'm not a show that's going to benefit from something like that. There's no reason to hear a TurboTax uh, spot in the middle of this show. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do me any good. I won't make any money. I'll talk about monetization and it not working for online digital creators without thousands and thousands of views, clicks, impressions, and traffic coming from this show to TurboTax. I'm going to get like 10 cents or something like that. And then all it's going to do is clutter up this show. So I've taken a, a more localized and more primitive but also potentially much more lucrative way of trying to monetize this here. I'm just a bit of an anomaly in this space. And there's also there's fair use laws. You can use copyright material as long as you use it in a way. I can't explain it because I, I can't speak the, the jargon. You can use it, but it's got to be done in a specific way that I think I actually kind of do. So anyway, that's kind of not really the point. Of, uh, of bringing all this up right now. Before I get to a couple of these I've pulled here, let's play some audio from Dave. This is him from uh, just random lectures he does. He's also an adjunct professor of music business and philosophy at uh, University of Georgia. And this is him talking about his transition from C Camper Van Beethoven to Cracker and kind of overall just giving uh, his resume to this uh, in this lecture that he was uh, giving probably in the last seven, eight years or so. My band Camper Van Beethoven had sort of gone on hiatus and I started this other band called Cracker and we briefly started this craze whereby you wore long johns under your shorts. We sure did. It's a terrible look, but anyway. 
Okay, so that's in 1993, that becomes a hit. By this point, we had three songs on MTV and various formats of rock radio. We were like selling like 20,000 records a week. That same album, actually, this song is featured pretty prominently in Californication. So still making music with both my bands. Still, at least, hey, we're in Rolling Stone. You know, we're still getting some attention. We were still out there. Hundreds of songs in commercials, dozens of songs in films and television shows. 2013 alone, we had tracks in Perks of a Wallflower, Young Adult, Wolverine, Rectify, CSI. I was crazy enough to release an Americana record at the height of grunge. Cracker was up for MTV's best new artist in 1992 against Nirvana. We didn't even go. So he's that's just kind of the beginning. He kind of meanders a lot. I had to I had to kind of get to the point where he's just kind of laying it out there. And his point was, I've never stopped working. I had huge, huge hits, traveled the world. And then years later, after that initial apex of stardom and then coming back down from that cloud, uh, if you will, he could barely make a living. Yet his music was being used in movies and television shows and, and commercials and while he was making some money off of all these things, and he had a, a big hit or three big hits in the U.S. and big hits in the in the U.K., and he, he couldn't make any money. And that that was when he started to really look into why is this? What's happening? And at that point, much of it was um, the the Napster, the LimeWire, the file sharing, which. Uh, Metallica unfairly got completely killed by their fan base and other fan bases for trying to go after after Napster. And uh, overall, his digital music ecosystem discussed, along with the current landscape and the past landscapes, he says it's never been a good model, all the way back to the days of Sun Records and everything else from the, you know, the birth of rock and roll. It was always the the promoters the A&R the executives the record companies were always trying a way figure out a way to make the most money for themselves and the least amount of money they can to the people who created the content this is Lowry continuing on he was talking about you think that Spotify and Pandora and once upon a time Napster and LimeWire when you think of music sharing and downloading and streaming but where is most of the music consumed at this point in uh, in American consumption? And I was surprised to hear this. I, and after I thought about it, not as much, but I did not know this. So where is the largest amount of music consumption take place in the world, in the United States? Is it on Spotify? Is it on iTunes? It takes place on YouTube. The problem with YouTube, though, is that it's got all this user-generated content, it's a tough one. I'm not going to lie to you. That's the biggest problem for the music business right now and for independent niche artists is how to get better revenue out of YouTube. Morgan Stanley estimates that YouTube generates about $8 billion a year for Alphabet slash Google. About 40% of the views are music videos or music video related. So $8 billion, but less than $250 million comes back to the music business in total. That's obviously a value gap there. That's our biggest problem is to figure out how to get YouTube to match the amount of consumption, the amount of revenue they make, how to get that to come to us as artists. And at this point now... The digital online creation that goes way past just music is having all these same kinds of, uh, of issues. I have not done hardly anything with YouTube. I did once upon a time when Nathan Gale was helping me with videos and we were trying to create a YouTube channel. And for a minute, we got one going okay, and then it just all fell apart. Mainly, that was because of the assholes at Scumula, uh, excuse me, Cumulus Radio here in town fired me in 2016. But how do the artists monetize this platform, which is seemingly free for every 
person to use. Now, YouTube is now, since this lecture, is a whole new monster in itself. They're in the TV game. They're in the movie distribution game, television distribution. It's a lot, you know, it just gets more and more convoluted as streaming becomes more part of our lives. And the final one here I have from David Lowry is just uh, just a few more nuts and bolts. Really, though, his big thing here on this is free music Getting a hold of free music is free to the people who are getting it. Money is not going to the people who are creating it, yet it is still very big business. A lot of people don't realize this. Free music, books, and films are highly monetized. The digital distribution model that we have right now is, is what we have. It's the status quo. It's relatively stable. The new model is here. It doesn't work great for creators, okay? There's file sharing, BitTorrent, and cyber lockers, which are advertising supported. Largely. There are streaming, which includes YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, GrooveShark, which are also advertising supported. iTunes and Amazon and the legitimate white hat digital retailers do not exist in a vacuum. They got to price artists' music against this background of piracy. This all works together to depress the wages and the revenue that artists receive. And he goes on to talk about how file sharing, you think of Napster long gone, right? It's been gone for over 20 years. File sharing is still happening all over the world, and it's, ha it's happening here in the country as well on a, on a more bootlegged version. Not quite the dark web, but a more bootlegged version of file sharing, and nobody ever goes after this. And he also mentions that piracy has always been a part of the music industry, and what he believes all these streaming services have done in the last 10 years or so has said, well, hey, if we're not you know, paying you something and putting it in on, on our platforms that are often pay for user bases like Spotify and maybe Pandora, which seems to be a thing of the past, but YouTube Music and, and others that are subscription based. They're saying, well, hey, if it weren't for us, you wouldn't be getting anything. And, you know, that's kind of an asshole way to approach things, according to him. And basically, I would think anybody that you would ask. Headline from the Associated Press, musicians may vanish from TikTok over licensing dispute. The licensing agreement with UMG and TikTok expired just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Dave will not allow any of his Cracker or Camper Van Beethoven music to be used, or not much of it anyway, only select few on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, where you can add music to your stories and to make your little reels and videos. His music is not allowed. He does not allow it to be there. Only the music that he made under the Virgin Records umbrella, which was for a good portion of his career, from about 1986 till about 1998, he was under Virgin Records, and all that you can find on Spotify and Pandora and everywhere else, but anything else since then, which has been countless albums, countless songs, countless records, solo with Cracker, with Camper, with whoever, he does not allow that to be on Spotify. He's not going to let you have that for free. He would rather just not sell any than get paid thousands of a penny for music that most people don't really want and people who would be against you know kind of pushing back against him would be like well listen bro nobody wants to listen to your music well it, the, the fact is a lot of us do and i don't go buy he has a new album out i didn't go buy it you know so am i part of the problem as a listener as a consumer i guess maybe i am this is from uh, Morning Brew after the Grammys. The juggernaut that is Taylor Swift and her sales that have accounted for 2% of the entire music business last year is an anomaly, not a trend. Following a wave of layoffs over the past year at companies like Spotify, one executive told the Financial Times that the industry is enduring a hangover. The lawsuit that he uh, filed against Spotify was settled about four or five years ago for $43 million. It was to pay off the mechanical license, a type of publishing license that specifically covers the reproduction of works. Ultimately, it seems like both sides will benefit from the settlement by selling, settling, excuse me, Spotify is avoiding potential crippling copyright infringement penalties. And since all songwriters whose work is registered within the U.S. Copyright Office are automatically included in the class action, Spotify will be less susceptible to future lawsuits. The settlement is for far less than the original $200 million demand. The deal is a win for rights holders who likely make more money from the settlement than they would have 
from Spotify's royalty rates, which if you paid attention to anybody on socials who will say it, they will tell you how much they're making from Spotify royalties, and it's nothing. And so Spotify was built on a premise of trying to cheat and cut corners and not pay what these whatever these mechanical royalties are. I didn't have time to dig into the weeds on that. And, of course, one of the quotes, which I don't have here, was it was simply a, oh, we didn't know. Oh, our bad. And then they paid the $43 million to just move along. So a, a, an industry that's built on trying to deceive and trying to cheat the artist out of their cut, their share. But then what is their cut and their share and what should it be? The television uh, industry has been dealing with this for a long time, the screen actors, the film, the directors. There was the first strike in 2007 because they were starting to put their shows on the internet instead of on television, and there was no business model or contract that covered that. People made fun of them, and they got a lot out of that. And then just recently, they've had to re-up because in that just that short amount of time, it has already moved on to another version of, uh, of unfair payment for residuals and i saw something from one of the guys from a show i recognize i don't have his name or the uh, audio right now but he's talking about how all these streaming service hbo max netflix just name them they're now pulling a bunch of their catalog down because they don't want to pay residuals for those shows just sitting there and I guess it's just like any other company that takes inventory and realizes, well, if this is just sitting here and it's not making us any money and we have to pay the residuals out to the people who put this content together, well, instead of doing that, we'll just drop it. And now nobody gets to see it. And that's a whole nother issue that I don't have time to try to think about or get into right now. It is a brutal, brutal place to make a living. Hence why I told my guys that we were jamming out in the garage and playing a few shows that this is not something I can devote a lot of time to because the best of the best have trouble making any money doing it. And David Lauer is one of my favorite guys in the world. And it was an absolute joy to be able to uh, see him play some music. The old 99X guys, a couple of guys I recognized from back in the day. And, um, it was a really nice afternoon, and it was really nice being able to talk to Dave when he actually wasn't being a total prick. <laughs> he actually was somewhat inviting and seemed to enjoy a little bit of conversation, or at least he faked it, which is something he would never do in the past. And that is all I got for you today. Thanks for uh, hanging out with me on the Stone On Air podcast. My name is Brian. Like, share, review if you get a chance. And thanks to Lee Brock. He is the presenting sponsor of the show. Give him a call at 653-2491 for all your real estate needs or Lee at lindabrockhomes.com. Look for the show every Wednesday and a couple of best show evers coming by the end of the month as well. Y'all have a great weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl and uh, place your bets, boys, and smoke your weed and have your drink and enjoy the commercials and whatever it is you do, uh, enjoy yourself. And we'll talk again next week. See you later. Bye.